one thing I like, I like to talk to the greatest of all time in their industries, whatever that may be. I like to speak to people that are the greatest in their industry, okay? In their industry. And the reason why we reached out to him, uh, and he told me last night when we were having dinner, I don't know if you caught that, Tim, when he said at the dinner last night, he said, the last time I did a live event was January of 2020. We're talking a year and nine months ago. Year and 10 months ago was the last time he did an event. To make it on this trip, he had to go all over the place. I'm sure he's going to tell us the story. So I'm excited to have him here. But the book, Your Next Five Moves, talks about knowing how to have your next 5, 10, 15 moves. Can you imagine how many guys have been number one in sales for one month? How many guys have been number one in sales? How many guys have been number one in sales for three months straight in a big company? In a company with a thousand people to compete with, you were number one three months straight. How many guys have been number one for six months straight? How many guys have been number one for 12 months straight? How many guys have been number one for two years straight? Three years straight? Four years straight? Five years straight? Six years straight? Seven years straight? You want me to continue? He was number one every month from 7 billion people around the world that played chess for 250 consecutive months in chess. That's absolute insanity. There is no other sport or athlete can even say something like that. 250 consecutive months, they call him the GOAT of the game of chess, a game many play, a few master, and a few become a teacher that teaches other masters. Give it up to the one and only Gary Kasparov. Jerry, how are you? Fine. You're fine? What, what? It's, it's, a, it's a good way to start your weekend. Why do I get a feeling you're super competitive? Is that, is that a misread on me? or is Because uh, even when you came to dinner last night and you sat at dinner, I'm like, your level of intensity was felt when you sat at the table. I, uh, I never thought that it was doing anything unless you, you, know, you invest all for yourself. So I... I also know the limits of my ignorance. So if I'm not, you know, up to the task, so if I know that this topic is just, you know, outside of the sphere of my competence, so I stay away. But if I'm in, it's full Monty. It's full Monty if you're in. Okay. So, so for some that don't know your story, I mean, listen, it's a very, uh, 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 very, very interesting story that you got. And obviously how you came up competing, we'll talk about that. Going up against the IBM machine, we'll talk about that. Being number one for 200 and some sites say 251, some say 255. I want to say the right number. Should we waste our time debating that? What, what is the number? Does it 250? Look, I don't know. It was too long to count. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, <laughs> you're so good for so long, you're like, it doesn't matter anymore. Okay. So then, then you had issues with Putin. Maybe we'll talk about that. You, you, I have issues with dictators. That's good. I like that as well. Live, so okay, good. We can talk I, about that. And I grew up in the Soviet Union. So when I, in 1991, 30 years ago, yes, I thought that, okay, that was the end of the nightmare. I was wrong. 
Okay, good. So we want to talk about that because this group, just so you know, is very comfortable talking politics. So don't worry about it. They're business people. Again, just to give them optics. Well, raise your choice. You're asking for trouble. No, you, we talked about that. I told you. You said, uh, don't ask me questions I, you don't that, want to answer for. I'm not a politician. I'm not yeah. running for an office. I don't waffle. I don't duck. Good. You ask the question, you get a straight answer. We like Be aware that. of that. We like that. Listen, we, we, we like that. The, the good thing about the channel, Valuetainment, and the people we've interviewed, I've interviewed very, very random people, so I'm accustomed to people like you. It's actually fantastic. Good. Okay. So if somebody doesn't know your story, go all the way back. Who was Gary? How did he come up? How did he start winning, becoming the you know, chess player that he is today? So do we start from the very beginning? Ve I want very beginning. A very, very beginning. beginning. So born in uh, April 13, 1963, in the deep south, right next to the Georgia. So actually it was the uh, Republic of Azerbaijan and Soviet Union, right next to the Republic of Georgia. So, um, and uh, um, I, don't, I cannot tell you the moment when I actually learned how to play chess. Because unfortunately nobody was there to tweet about it. Yeah, it, it was um, a winter evening, 68, 69. My parents uh, tried to solve a chess puzzle from a local newspaper and uh, and I just discovered the, the mystery of this, of this little wooden chessboard, you know, you know, 64 squares, 32 pieces. Nobody told me how to move the pieces. I learned by just watching them, you know. So and, and at one point, you know, I revealed that I knew some of the secrets. And um, it was match made in heaven. So very quickly, you know, so they just recognized that instead of sending me to a music school, because all my parents, uh, from my, my father's side, uh, all his uh, relatives were musicians. Um, that's a Jewish side. So, um, uh, and um, and he said, no, no, no. It just, you know, that's the, that's that's not for Gary. So he has different kind of mind. So, so, and I was sent to a chess club at age seven. It's sadly it was his last decision. He yeah, uh, he died from leukemia. It's when I was seven, and uh, for the next fifty years, so I was um, under the divine shield of my mother who sadly passed uh, last uh, Christmas, you know, from COVID. And, um, and she that. spent her entire life, you know, working for me, for her only son. And, um, and um, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And uh, very quickly, I realized that uh, chess would be my life. Um, but also, I realized that it's not just about chess. And that's another important lesson from my mother. So, yes, chess is about winning and losing. Of course, it's about winning. Um, but it's also about making the difference. And that's, that's, that was a fundamental, you know, like message to me that I carried throughout my, my entire life. And that's why I could rebuild my life after I left professional chess in 2005. Because it's, it's about making a difference. And that's answer to your first, you know, question. It's about intensity. If I'm in, you know, I have to try to make the difference. Maybe not as much as I did in the world of chess, but anywhere. So I believe that we can make a contribution. So, and that's the like a motto of my life. So it's the, I even had it on the top of my, of my bed. She put it when I was 11 or 12. If not you, who else? I mean, just don't complain about others. Don't complain about weather conditions. Wow. This is about you. Powerful. So this is, you can do whatever yep. you want as long as you're in. So, and you devote yourself to, again, whatever task you have selected. Gary, how much of the drive, was there any, you said your father passed away when you were seven years yeah. old. How much drive came from there to want to make him proud? Was there any drive where you're like, I'm going to go out there and do something big to leave a legacy for the last name? Was there anything there? 
Look, uh, uh, absolutely. So it's, uh, and again, this is the fact is that my mother never remarried and she just, you know, she, she made this big sacrifice, you know, um, I, I knew that I had to, I had to be up to the challenge. So look, we still need a little bit of luck, you know, with, with our professional career, even if you have a talent and you're a hard worker. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's, I always, you know, argue with people who say, oh, he or she, you know, is a, has a great talent, uh, um, or other way around actually it's not so talented but has you know is a hard worker i believe the hard work is also talent so again that's another lesson interesting mother oh so you believe well, a person who works hard that is a form of a talent it's of course it's a talent you know this is exactly look talent is something that is possessed by few or not everybody and we know that not everybody is a hard worker so which means working hard is a talent and when you combine it with your natural talent mm -hmm. for chess for uh, whatever so just whatever field you 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 selected so that's that's an explosive combination and i knew that working hard was was crucial i grew up in you know in a family family with a very modest means um it's it's in the soviet union and very quickly i recognized that you know that's the the uh, the stories that we receive from tv from newspapers um they were very different from you know from what you could see around. So as I that was the beginning of my political education. How old were you when you figured that out? Look, it's just quite early. I, I had my uh, my uncle, my the younger brother of my father, uh, who you know, was part of this you know in, you know circle, circles of intelligentsia. So and and they you know he supplied me with some books that were not available in in, in the public libraries, and also because of my chess successes, I could travel. And traveling in, in the Soviet Union, traveling abroad was, was rare. So at age 13, as the, an, as the youngest uh, Soviet um, junior champion under 18, so I was um, representing my country in France. So I think that in, in our neighborhood, in Baku, in the city of Baku, which was the fourth largest city in the Soviet Union, I don't think we had anyone who traveled you know, in the capitalist country. So I, I became a star by the very fact that you know, I could travel there, came back. And again, I could see things. I could compare them with official propaganda. And um, it, would, it didn't take long for me to actually recognize what was right and what was wrong. Yeah, my mother, my family's from Baku, by the way. Baku? Uh, Baku, yeah, my mother's wow. side. And I almost married a girl from Baku, but my family's from Baku. So okay, I know so we have a lot in common, huh? Yeah, we do. But, from, but you know, they're Armenian. But Baku, yep. I, let's see yep. what words that's, I can that's say. My, in Russian. That's my second. That's my mother's side, Armenian. Kaposhevaiti, Kharasho, Liznayo, Izisuda, Bistra. I got a few words. I, guess. Words. I, mean, I got a few more, but I'm going <laughs> to keep it safe here. So let's go back. So if, if I knew you and we were in school together, at what point did everybody in Russia know who Gary was? Because it starts off, first, locally, they know who you are. You win a competition. Then they know you, you know, maybe region. And then the entire country knows, here's who Gary is. He's a phenom. What was that process like? Yeah, again, uh, look, it's, it's, I, I, um, I climbed, you know, just at this, you know, the chess uh, stairs rapidly. So by age nine, I was a first category player. Uh, by age 10, I was a candidate master. Uh, but as I mentioned, at age 12, I won the junior national championship under 18. 12, 18. So that's the, and by the way, next year I repeated my success, just one twice in a row. So, um, and Soviet Union at the time was the, by far, the strongest chess country in the world. So I proved, you know, to be a great talent, you know, chess prodigy. Uh, and, um, and that's it, everybody knew my name already. But um, again, even if your name is well known, it's still a long way to go to the very top. And uh, 
uh, apart of, you know, obvious chess challenges, I had other challenges. I was half Armenian, half Jewish in the Soviet Union. You're half Armenian? Of course I have half Armenian. Do you speak the language or no? No, I don't. I grew up in Baku, but this is, didn't you, have you read my Wikipedia? Of course I have. I'm trying to, Armenian wise, I'm trying yeah, to see my, if you yes, speak the language. My, 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 look, you know, I grew up in Baku and I grew up in, in Russian. But Armenian, I didn't know you were Armenian. I'm telling you right now in front of public. My, I researched yourself. My, I don't know you my, my ancestors come from Nagorno-Karabakh. This is that's the that's the whole wow, both from my gra- my grandmother and grandfather, but unfortunately I never made it there. So let's say, and um, it's, it's it was quite tragic that my mother died. You know, just seeing her ancestral land being taken away, so by Azeri troops. So uh, and we had to escape in 1990 because it was just you know it was you may call it ethnic cleansing or genocide. So we had to escape from Baku in 1990. Though I was a big a big uh, uh, hero, but um, the fact that I had 50% of Armenian blood, you know, made me unwelcome in my in, in the city of my, my birth. Um, so uh, um, that's and, and I had to face Anatoly Karpov, a darling of the system, a Russian champion, you know, embraced and kissed by Brezhnev. So that was extra challenge, trust me. So and um, and I uh, I recognize that it's not just about moving the pieces; it's also you know just taking a stand. And um, so I. It's, it's, it's like it was parallel education, playing chess, getting better, getting, you know, climbing, you know, eventually challenging Karpov in 1984, so at age 21, but also recognizing the shortcomings of the system and somehow feeling that one day I would take a stand to challenge it. Yeah, uh, nowadays, if somebody wants to get better at uh, chess, I can play it on an iPad. Yeah, or I can you, play on a, yeah. how, how, What was your strategy for getting better back in the days? What, what did you read? What did you have access to? Look, you know, it's... <laughs> Um, I just got, you know, from Moscow, so my cousin brought to me archives that my mother kept. Uh, and uh, those my notebooks from the 70s, 73, 74, 75, you know, handwritten notes. And um, I showed it to my kids. My daughter is turning 15. I mean, she couldn't believe that, you know, we had to collect the data. So this is now, it's all here. We had to write the games. I even, you know, had a special set by my coach. He gave me a great present. It's from East Germany. I, I, get push, I get put a stamp with a diagram and then put chess pieces on it. So this, this is, again, it was time-consuming, but it was a great contribution wow. to, to, to my work ethics. Yeah. Because I had to do, I had, and it's, it's, again, my kids, you know, just they couldn't believe it. This is this, this, all this, you know, notebooks. Many, many pounds of, 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 uh, of the paper, it's just this written. So I think it's just, it's the, it's, it, life is always about trade-offs. And of course, you know, we had to spend so much time, but we could value information, treasure information. You know, I started Kasparov Chess Foundation in this country 20 years ago. And from 2005, we have regular sessions with talented kids. When I say talented kids, it's, it's a top level. So, and I can proudly say that U.S. juniors now are the best in the world. So, that's, we made a contribution to this success. And um, uh, more and more, I could see that you know, the way they play is so much influenced by machines. And it's, it's good that they can collect all the data. Today, the kid at age 12 knows more than Bobby Fischer learned in his entire life. Again, simply because he or she could have swiped the finger and just find all the data. But again, how you deal with this data? I mean, it's, just, it's the, this, can you process it? Can you just, you know, merge it with your intuition, with your human qualities? Because when we analyze the games, I, I look at them and say, okay, there is a move. I said, ah, it's not a good move. So why it's not a good move? Because machine said so. So I can also look at the screen 
Can you tell me why? And many of them stared at me, being confused. What do you mean, why? Because machine said so. So this is sometimes, you know, they lose the, this, uh, the ability, the very human ability to, to, to look deep down and understand, you know, what it's all about. So, it's, you know, it's just, it's, there are many ways of, the, of, of, of um, describing the difference between humans and machines making, making decisions. And I always like to bring a quote from one of the founding fathers of, of AI, Joseph Weizenbaum, who created ELISA, this is a Siri prototype in 1964, 1965. In his book in 1976, he talked about difference between deciding and choosing. It's very subtle, but he explained it that, you know, that's the deciding is for machines because it's computational. Choosing is very human. Because at the end of the day, when you go way down <laughs> with machine, go to the very bottom. Yeah. I did it because I was told so. With human, you go deep down, I did it because I wanted. So it's very important to recognize that you know, no matter you know, how much AI is being introduced in our lives, we will remain indispensable. That's what I learned you know, from the game of chess. So there's always an element of human, unique human qualities that cannot be replaced by, by, by machines. I don't want to sound callous. Yes, every technology you know, brings problems and, and you know, destroys industries, but it also creates opportunities. And it's very important for us to understand, even if we belong to the last few decimal places, so what? It's still very important for us to actually find a way to channel this immense power of, 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 of this brute force. Gary, question for you, though. Question for you, what you're saying. Because what you're saying is, uh, we, we talked about this last few days, and it's a topic of discussion nowadays. The, the thought about computers eventually one day taking over and doing the work nonsense. of mankind. Absolutely nonsense. Okay, t tell unless, us Unless, tell unless us your you're thoughts. brainwashed by Hollywood and the army of doomsayers, it's... Yeah, look, you know, it's very simple. You know, this is the... It's the you should treat computers, AI, whatever, so we can discuss the, 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 uh, the, the, the names. It's, it's another human creation. It's not a magic wand, but it's not a terminator. It's not a harbinger of utopia or dystopia. It is a tool. You don't expect this to bring you to heaven, but it's not going to open the gates of hell. And yeah, it's easy to sell fear. That's why you have army of doomsayers telling you, oh, wow, wow it's, we, we're all going to die. Why? Machines made us stronger. Machines made us faster. Intelligent machines will make us smarter if we know how to use it. So there's so many new opportunities just being opened every day. And by the way, we, we're just now getting out of the pandemic crisis. And it's in many of the debates we had in the past, you know, oh, it's... Would you like to have driverless cars or robots in the hospitals? How many lives could be saved if we had, you know, these machines, you know, helping us during this crisis? And also, this is something that people just don't recognize when they talk about computers. We could go back to chess. Oh, machines, you know, just, you know, if, if, if they don't reach 100% perfection, they're no good. Nonsense. There's no perfection in the, in the universe. All you should expect from computers to do better, to make fewer mistakes. You mentioned my match with IBM computer in 1997. Yeah. Actually, I won the first one in 1996, just for the sake of historical record. <laughs> so just to, uh, um, and yeah, I faced other computers as well. But, you know, people say, oh, the 1997 match, you know, Gary against Deep Blue, that was the dawn of artificial intelligence. Yes. But I can tell you that Deep Blue was as intelligent as your alarm clock. No, a very expensive one, about $10 million piece, 
But still, it was not intelligent at all. It didn't have to be intelligent. All it had to do is to make fewer mistakes. It played decent chess, but it made fewer mistakes. By the way, if you have a chess app on your mobile, it's as good or even better than Deep Blue today. So, and the, the gap between best chess player in the world today, Magnus Carlsen, and a chess engine that you can download on your laptop, it's about the same as between Usain Bolt and Ferrari. So what? It's the, it's, this is, again, recognizing that game of chess, game of Go, uh, game of Shogi, Japanese chess, video games like StarCraft or Dota, Texas Hold'em Poker, those are all what I would call closed systems. And the moment we, we humans, design the framework, machines will do a better job simply because they make fewer mistakes. And that's, you know, that's, that same goes with the driver's cars. The moment something goes wrong with the driver's car, you have a front page of a newspaper. And what about 40,000 people being killed, you know, on the roads of, of, of this country every year by human mistakes? So again, the moment we understand that, you know, we cannot push machines to perfection, and we could, you know, get, you know, again, this, like, improving our bottom line. That's what we need. Same, you know, just goes with AI and just in business, you know, so many executives. And I speak a lot, of course, as, as, as Patrick mentioned, you know, my last event was in, in January 2020 in, in France. So, but, but since that, I had so many uh, online events. And I could, even, even on the screen, I could feel this anxiety, fear, you know. So how can we bring it in? What about explainability? So what? Are you there, you know, just to explain, you know, how much it works or you want to improve your bottom line? So it's, 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 you know, it's, we should not expect what machines cannot do, but we should also be very open, understanding what it can bring to us and how we can actually merge it. So how we can bring together us and machines. That's what I knew in 1997. That's what I, you know, why I introduced uh, so-called advanced chess, humans plus machines. It's about finding how humans and machines collaborate. That's the way to look into the future. Fantastic. Wait, and a, a question for you, though. Because you did say when you went against Deep Blue, it just makes fewer mistakes than a human does, right? So if you were to get 50 phenoms, uh, math phenoms, they're great at math, but they've never played the game of chess. You get them, you coach them for a year. A computer gets these five, 50 phenoms and we do a project together. The computer teaches them chess for 12 months. Okay, so you got computers, AI, you got Gary Kasparov with writing on a sheet of paper. 12 months later, these kids play against each other. Who's going to be better at the game of chess? One, one, it will be one-sided. Which side? Our side. Tell me why. Easily. Why? Because it's about teaching. Because it's about, it's about you know, uh, transferring data. This is, you know, this is, that's what I said. You, know, you have closed systems. But there's not a shred of evidence that machines can transfer data from one closed system to another closed system. Even if you have you know, the computer you know, <laughs> dominating in StarCraft, pick up a video game. The moment you shift it from one map to another, you have to start from the scratch. That's again, it's fantastic, but, but again, it's, this is still a very human, human role to actually to, to, um, transfer the data. Now, this is, I always, you know, I like, you know, the quote that goes not from science, but from art, from Pablo Picasso, who said, computers are useless because they can only give you answers. Think about it. Answers only. 
because it's, it's, as a great artist, he knew that, you know, to be creative, you know, you have to ask questions. Questions are a beginning. And that's where we belong. We have to ask questions. Oh, machines also can ask questions. Yes, but they do not know what questions are relevant. It's very important that you understand what matters most. And that's why, you know, I, I remain optimistic. Also, the machine's getting more sophisticated. Good, good for me. I'm 58. I will never be as savvy as my kids, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, working with computers. But this is the moment where I believe my expertise, my wisdom, my experience could actually be an important factor to start, you know, um, uh, very successful collaboration with, with these machines that will not require, you know, a lot of technical uh, knowledge. Let me ask a direct pointed question, and, and, and I'm curious on how you react to this. Are you saying that because you firmly believe that? Or are you saying that because you have to believe that because that's your signature? Meaning, like, if a computer does better than Gary Kasparov, what's, what's Gary's, you know, so, so are you kind of defending your own uh, philosophy? Because uh, I'll, I'll give you an idea. Like, you know how people say stuff like, you know, uh, Time Magazine wrote an article talking about the fact that millennials are lazier generation than the current generation, right? In Rice's article, you know, the, they don't work as hard. They're all what they want to do is they want to be on Instagram. They want to do this. And our generation didn't do that. And at the end, it says, if you say the next generation is lazy, it's just a sign that you're getting old because the generation prior used to also say that you were lazy. So do you think there's a part of us as we're coming up that we almost don't want to give in to say AI is taking over and it's going to do the job better than us? Um, do I look like someone who has any doubts about what I'm saying? Well, that's the problem, though. Yes, that's what I'm yes. saying. The, 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 uh, the reason why I'm pushing you back on this is to say, do we sometimes have blind I'm, spots because we're so confident of what worked 20 years look, ago? Maybe I, not today. I was the first knowledge worker on this planet who had his job threatened by a machine. <laughs> but I, you know, and I, again, all I did after the 1997 match, you know, um, oh, first I wanted to play the rematch, the third match. And IBM made a good business decision. They knew that the blue was good, but, you know, the third match probably would, you know, would give me a good chance of winning. So, and since they know they had the, one of the highest uh, uh, performance for two weeks because the IBM shares jumped 22%, you know, over the two weeks, you know, since we, when we played the match. And many of my friends said that my biggest mistake was not to lose the match, but not to ask the, the options. And I wanted to play the rematch, and they says they turned me down, and says I, I was really upset, you know, so I was looking forward just, you know, for, for just, you know, to prove that, you know, I was still the best. Uh, and, um, and then the blue disappeared. So I just actually re recently rediscovered it. Many of them probably also saw it. It's, 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 it's doing sushi in JFK Airport, Terminal 5. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great bar, deep blue. So I love sushi, never ate there. Uh, um, so, but, um, uh, but speaking about this, it's, 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 it's machines. It's, it's, I, you know, I, I wanted, you know, to learn, you know, what's next. And as I said, you know, the next is working together. You cannot beat them, join them. Again, this is, this is, it's, it's, it took time, you know, for me to analyze, you know, this is the, our performance versus their performance. But I found out that machines will always have shortcomings. And the future of any successful business is to finding the way how to make contribution, unique human contribution, to the very specific machine to create a combination that will be most effective for this task. 
Sounds easy, but it's tough. And those who can master the process will be on top of the food chain. So um, um, I, you know, I have nothing to gain. I'm 58, so that's already I'm, you know, I'm, I belong to the generation that uh, that is threatened by the computers. But again, I, I, I'm an optimist because I believe you know machines will also help us to realize our wildest dreams. By the way, we dream. Machines cannot dream even in sleeping mode. So it's important that you know we we see this as opportunity. I'm an optimist, incorrigible optimist by nature despite the fact that I was born in the Soviet Union and had to leave from Putin's Russia to live in exile. But I still believe, you know, in, in the future of humanity. And I see so many things that are happening at the same time. It's probably, a, it's kind of an irony that during the pandemics, we saw the, another breakthrough in the space with NASA, with Elon Musk. So this is important. We are pushing forward. By the way, it's not we or as all humanity, people who born, raised, and work in the free world. So that's why I believe freedom is so important because that's the only guarantee that the progress will never get stalled. You're speaking to an audience that's on the side with you. By the way, I'm just pushing back, just curious to know what you thought about that. Going back to when you talked about when you faced uh, Anatoly Karpov, I think you were, what, 21, 22 years 21. old? Prior to him, who was the most intimidating opponent you faced? Was there anybody you faced where you, were, you didn't know whether you were going to beat him or not? No. You don't even remember it. No, it's not, being, it's not remembering. It's this... You know, Carpool was, of course, my nemesis, you know, that's, uh, because we played five world championship matches. We spent hundreds of hours, you know, uh, in front of each other at the chessboard. But again, just going back to what my mother told me, it's, it's about you. <laughs> so whatever happened in the game of chess, it was always, you know, my own contribution. I did well, I won. I did poorly, I lost. But there's no one to blame. So it's the, uh, yeah, I had tough opponents, but I always knew that if I could improve, I would win. When you face him and you won, you became the champion. What was that like? When you became the champion the first time and you oh. were at the top of the world the first time, what was that feeling like? Look, I, um, it's, it's probably quite ironic that my first memory of the moment being the world champion, it's, I, I won my last game against Karpov, game 24, 1985, on November 9th. So, and next day there was a ceremony, award ceremony. So, and... Uh, uh, and in, in, in my book, even I just, you know, I, I, I made it like an introduction because with all these, you know, hugs and kisses, you know, and Gary, uh, you know that. So that's the, uh, I was standing on the stage, you know, um, you know, just look at the picture. There's this big hair, uh, flowers, laurel. And uh, all I remember, it's, uh, it's that I was approached by a widow of one of the former world champions, Rona Petrosian, another Armenian. So uh, Tigran Petrosian, who was one of my mentors. And she looked at me, mm, it was a glimpse of sadness. And she said, young man, I'm sorry for you. What? Sorry for me? I'm, I'm 22, I'm the best on this planet. The sky is the limit. And she repeated, I'm sorry for you because the happiest day of your life has just passed. <sighs> Oof. Can you imagine to hear it at age 22? I, I, I have to admit, I, I, I didn't pay much attention to that. Okay, things happen. But then I, you know, it was, it, it, it got, it, it's, you know, it's somehow it got stuck. And, and I thought, oh, what, was it a curse or a blessing? Because it could be a curse, but also it gave me reasons to prove her wrong. 
So just, you know, to do other things, you know, just to make sure that, you know, I could, you know, push the horizon, not only in the game of chess, and I, I stayed on top for a long time, but it's just do other things. And, uh, and um, I, that's, what, that's what I remember. And I think it was a great start because it just, it's, it's, it's made me recognize that, you know, it's the, you know, you, can, you cannot seize the process of exploration and learning. And um, again, that's, that's it's, it's, I think we all hear a lot of advices from, you know, from right, left, and the center. But it's, it's for us to pay attention. It's, again, to understand what matters most. I recognize that this warning was sort of a, like a greatest push into my future. From 84 to 05, you're number one. Yeah. How the hell do you do that? No, no, you act like it's normal because you're you. Like you've been you your entire life, but we, we are, you know, we're, every other sport, no one's been number one for 21 years. How do you do that? Look, um... Is it the game different? Is it your discipline? Is it your wanting to prove that lady wrong that said this is going to be the biggest point, highest point for you? Is it your father's drive? Is it your mom supporting you? What, what was it? All together. You just keep, keep counting. You just keep counting because you need, you need it's, this is a combination. It's not just one factor. It's all about, it's, it's all together plus many more. But on top of that is just, you know, it's the, it's the something I learned is, just, and that's the, that's again, was a very important lesson. It's, goes beyond chess. It's for business, for life, for politics. It's, uh, if we lose the game, whether it's in chess, whether it's in other sport, whether in, in business deal or political campaign, we know we did something wrong and we have to go back and we have to study where we made a mistake. Now, if we won, naturally, it's because we're great and we'd like to celebrate. Now, I can tell you, someone who stayed on top for so long, perfect game doesn't exist. If you won, it's for a simple reason, because your opponent made the last mistake. And it's most likely you also made mistakes or inaccuracies. There always you know things to improve. And I think one of the key elements of my success was that I was relentless with myself. So I was brutally honest. So I looked at my games and I won many more than I lost, of course. And I knew that, you know, in order to win next day, I have to look at what I did, find my mistakes, and come back, you know, being again at the cutting edge. So what I figured out that if you are challenging your own excellence, you will never run short of opponents. So that's, that was simple. So I, I knew that it's, it's all about improving my game, even staying on top. Because the moment you want to rest on your laurels, you are in trouble. As I put in my book, success is very often the greatest enemy of future success because it can blind us. Of course. We think we did it because, yes. because we're the greatest and we can now just enjoy life. The moment you enjoy life, you're done. Gary, in, in basketball... It doesn't mean that you don't have to enjoy life, of course. Gary, in basketball, they say your knees go, right? In baseball, you're just getting older because you can't run as fast, let's just say. Football, you just can't run or throw the way you're throwing the ball unless if your name is Brady. But in, in your world, what goes? Because it's not like you're running to make a move. You're sitting there, you're making a move. So the career can be longer. What, what eventually gets to a point? Is it just the fact that you're like 21 years, I've been everybody? It doesn't matter to me anymore. It doesn't, 
I don't get the same satisfaction of wanting to win anymore. What what goes away in your world? I don't know if you understand the question I'm asking. I, I do. Okay. I do. Uh, yes. Um, uh, the two two factors. One is as as you described. You know, you getting not bored, but you running out of excitement. Uh, just bringing back the theme that I just mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation. I reached a point where I knew I would not able to make the same difference. Yeah, it's winning. Yeah, but it's not not the same drive. But also age, you know, age uh, counts because it's all about energy that you can spend and concentration. And concentration means Got that it. you know your brains, you know, every, you know every mental yep. power, piece of mental power you can you can mobilize is there. Mm -hmm. You're getting older. You have families. You have kids. You know, you have other things, and it's. Trust me, it's impossible, you know, just to switch. Oh, I do six hours, you know, just, uh, and then I, no, you cannot forget it. It's somewhere in your subconscious. Now, I'm, I'm, I retired from professional chess in 2005. I play occasionally some events, and people say, Gary, you know how to move the pieces, you know, you, you, yeah. Why don't you just go back and say, guys, how can I do that? I have so many things, you know. I cannot, you know, just erase everything. It's not a hard disk. So I cannot, you know, just do the sweeping operation, uh, you know, in, in, my, in my brains. And any, any moment, you know, I'm at the board, so I will be still, you know, just having some thoughts, you know, that, that, that will basically jeopardize this, this mental mm. process. Concentration, it's not, it's not there. Because I'm, you know, it's, it's somehow over the last 16 years, this is, I rebuilt my the working algorithm. So I can do things, you know, one hour, two hours presentations, but not six hours game. Not even 25 minutes because it's just it's, it's a different kind of exercise. Big deal. So again, you just have to remember what you can do and what you cannot do. Gary, uh, when you when you're looking at the game of uh, chess, what do you, how do you see the game? Like from your lens, if you put your lens on, so we can learn from you. Do you look at it as war? Do you look at it as uh, uh, purely from a mathematics, you know, point of view? How are you looking at the game? Uh, it's it's a game, so it's the I don't think it's it's mathematics or 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 any other science. It's, it's it requires a lot of preparation. So I um, I'm still very passionate about the game. So I love the game. I, I like watching. I love watching the games. I just playing you know online and just doing exhibitions. So it still it takes a considerable part of my life. Uh, again, I just know my limitations that I'm no longer a professional player. I'm the, probably the strongest amateur on the planet. Uh, um, but um, uh, when I play chess, it's it was everything. So that's again, you play, you have to invest, you know, all you have into the game. So whether it's you may call it a war, it's a you may call it psychological warfare because we're sitting against each other. And it's just it's the, if thanks to the Queen's Gambit, I think a lot of people recognize the intensity of the game. So I, I was very proud that, you know, as an advisor to, to Scott Frank, so I added so many details that to made it very realistic. And, uh, and for those, because very often I'm being asked, you know, what are the pictures? I'm sure many of you watch this, the series. It's, it's with Beth Harmon looking at the ceiling with the pig. They say, oh, it's, it's, it's Hollywood. I said, no, 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 that's not Hollywood. It's a Hollywood production, but that's exactly how many of us, you know, thought during the game. Yes, you look at the board, but then you can take, take your eyes away. That's, this is the way that you can just somehow refresh your, uh, your uh, uh, attitude. So and just to find some new, new ideas, because we don't have to look at the board just to, to analyze it. So um, I, you know, I again enjoyed it immensely. And, uh, and I, again, I, it was a never ending 
process of acquiring data, analyzing it, and coming up with new ideas, fresh ideas? Yeah, I, I ask it for a reason. I'll get to my question in a minute here, but uh, let me go in a different direction. So in business world, you'll have a business plan. We write a business plan, and here's what we're going to do in Q1 this month, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, and then we're going to expand here. We're going to take this capital. I'm going to hire five employees here. We're going to go to this office. Anyways, you put a business plan together, and then COVID happens, and then somebody in your company leaves and goes to the competitor. They take three clients away from you. Things adjust. How much of the game you play you play because you're initiating and making him react to you, and how much of it is it you're reacting to your opponent's moves? Um, I think when people talked about Charles Darwin, I think often they got it wrong. Because actually, the Darwin theory said that it's not the strongest piece, uh, species that survive, not the smartest but the most adaptable to change. That's it. So it's about your ability to adapt. And these days, it's the most valuable quality Powerful. that guarantees success. As you said, COVID happens. Things can happen. And it's just, it's, it's, it's you know, and, and that's why, you know, I always argued, and it's, it's my book is a special chapter, How Life Imitate Chess, special chapter called Attacker's Advantage. Yes, people know if you are in the attack, you take risk. But there are also benefits because you are ahead. You, you, you can be ahead of the curve, uh, just on, on this curve. Sure. You can see what's happening there. So I think these days, attacker's advantage is more valuable than ever. Wow. Because, wow. because again, it's, taking risk is risky. Yep. Not taking risk is much riskier. What split would you put on that? 80-20? 70-30? I don't know. This is, again, that's, that depends. But it's, you know, it's for so long, we knew that, you know, that's the, um, the, uh, the philosophy of business was to mitigate risk, how to reduce it. And by the way, this is, it's just, I, once I did an experiment, so um, uh, you can use a Google Ngram, and you can look at the books for 100 years and, and find out how certain words have been used. And, uh, you know, you can check and it's, it's, it's always, you know, shows the, 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 uh, the change in the public attitude and, 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 and in technology. You put the word computer, you put the word the phone, so phone goes up and then a little bit down and then with mobile phones goes up again. So there's only one word that I found that, that didn't behave, you know, following the pattern. It's called risk. Until mid-late 60s, it was almost non-existing. And then it jumped exponentially. We discovered risk, and we wanted to mitigate this risk. We wanted to handle it. We want to minimize it. Forgetting the fact that, oh, if, if you minimize risk, you also have to sacrifice benefits. Ah, we can print money, of course. That's what we have been doing for a long time. So to compensate. But it's, 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 you know, it's insane just to even to think, you know, how many great things happened in the past because people did, didn't, you know, pay much attention to risk. The, Every of you has a mobile device that is 10,000 times more powerful than all computing power of NASA in 1969 when Americans landed in the, on the moon. So maybe that's, that's happened because they couldn't calculate the risk. Because today we would know that the risk of losing the crew would be 25 to 30%. 
Show me the president of the United States who would authorize such a mission today. So again, it's this discovering risk has consequences. Yeah, risk, risk is a problem, but you know, it's the, you know, we, we, we build systems, you know, that's, that, that had to make sure that, you know, no risk will find a hole to, to, to uh, jeopardize our business. Yeah, it's this by uh, FDA regulations, you know, penicillin would be banned today at the first test because every fifth person shows allergy. Some people say even maybe even Tylenol will not make it through. So what's happened during the pandemics? All of a sudden, rules changed because the companies that abandoned research in antibiotics and vaccines for a simple reason, because 95%, 90% was not good. It 99.9%, you know, could lead to a trouble, you know, with an army of lawyers, you know, going after you if you fail once. But now we needed something, we needed a miracle. And, and I think that's now we're seeing this change in this attitude. It's more and more people recognize that, you know, you have to incorporate risk. Yes, it's risky. Yes, you can lose, but you have potential benefits. At the end of the day, that's, that's about capitalism. You just said, it's the, yeah. it's the, you know, uh, it's uh, the Winston Churchill said that uh, the inherit wise of capitalism is an equal um, distribution of, the blessing, of, of blessings. But the inherit virtue of socialism is equal sharing of miseries. So, yeah, we, you know, we, have, take our, we have to take our chances. Yes, and, uh, and I think again, this is, we have something that was not available in 1969 or in the 70s or the 80s. We have these very powerful devices. You know, just how do we use them? You know, do we use them wisely? Do we use them effectively? I don't think so. So just, you know, find a way to utilize this enormous power that has been created in the free world. And again, we, we showed with vaccines. It took 10 months to come up with vaccines, by the way, created in the free world. For, for those who are arguing about the two different systems, I always tell, we had an experiment. China gave us virus, America gave us vaccine. I like the fact that you're not uh, very controversial and you, you play the safe oh, game. Yeah, I respect I, that a lot about you. Yeah, all my life I tried to just, just to yeah. be very round, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's very to, obvious. Yes, it's, it's, yes, it's, yes. It's yes. evident. It's yes. just very evident. But since you brought that up. I hope you are not sponsored by Huawei or Chinese companies. <laughs> <laughs> if there is a room, you would be safer to talk about that stuff more. It would pro there's probably that room doesn't exist. This is the safest room for you to talk about what you just talked about. Uh, but let, let's go back and a little bit more deeper into that. You know, I was going to do Q&As, but I'm going to take some of their time and I'm going to ask you the questions. So this young lady over here talked about how last night she had meetings with a couple other people. And they were talking about what it was like to be in Russia, what it was like to be an immigrant, why they love America so much. You know, what makes this thing so special? You talked about Baku. You talked about your first experience when you went to a capitalistic uh, country and you're like, I've never seen this before because my brain was, you know, controlled in a certain way. I was born and raised in Iran. I lived there 10 years. In Iran, it's Madik Bad Amrika, death upon America. This is the worst country in the world. Why is yeah, it? There's a competition. Why, why, why is it? Why is it? Why is it that so many, so many people who have lived in a communistic, socialistic regime are doing whatever they can to come to capitalistic. What makes it sexy? 
What is such a big turnoff with communism and socialism to you? Look, it's about freedom. I agree. Simple. It's about that you, it's, look, there's no guarantee of success, but you have a chance. But can, I, can I stop you right there? Here's the angle I want you to take. Here's the angle I want you to take. Present to us what it was like to live in a communistic regime. What was that like? Because, again, they, pe most people don't know that life. They don't know that world. Thank and then give... Thanks, them. God, you don't know. Yeah, if you don't mind presenting that... I don't think I can tell you in a few minutes, but you, you know, it's... I think the problem with Americans, you take things for granted. You, you keep forgetting... The wise words of Ronald Reagan, you know, from just, I think, 1967, his inaugural speech when he became governor of California, that freedom is a fragile thing. And it's never more than one generation away from extinction. That's why I think it's so important to hear people like me. I, but maybe I'm just, I'm a wrong person because I was successful. But there's so many people coming to America. They look at America the way we looked, you know, from the other side of our curtain. For us, it was a proverbial shining city on a hill. Yeah, we knew America had problems. Again, there's no perfection on this world. But you compare this country to any other place on the planet, you will not find a place that offers more opportunities for people, you know, just of all races, genders, you know. With, this is... And that's why people like me are just getting so... Um, concerned when self-criticism turns into self-flagellation. Because every time, you know, we hear, you know, this is this, this, the noises in this country that are aimed at the very foundation of this great nation. That's what helps dictators in Russia, in China, in Iran, because, ah, look at America. America is bad. America is built on evil. Nonsense. This country was built on, on, on great expectations of people that wanted to build a they want to create a world to, you know, for free people, this full of opportunities. And, um, and while there's always room for improvement, but you need a good foundation, you need a good basis for that. And people like me would know that. And uh, you know, for those who say, oh, America out, you know, um, overplayed his hand, her hand. So America you know, went ev everywhere, so this is, oh, it's, uh, America should not be a world, of, a world policeman. Okay, fine. You know what happens when policeman is on a beat? Look at Kabul. So it's the, it's a, it's globalization means that you have a responsibility. And, and America is still a leader. People look at America as, as a country that still can, you know, can lead the world, free world. Unfortunately, they don't have the same America I used to have when I was a kid living in the Soviet Union. And we're missing that. By the way, you're also missing that because it's the ignoring the freedom of others, you know, basically, you know, hits you at home as well. So I'm, again, I, I can take my stand. So that's just, I, I know that a lot of people, you know, may feel uncomfortable with what I'm saying, but I speak on behalf of millions and millions and millions of people from Iran, Afghanistan, Russia, other places who look at America and they, they confused, they scared, they just don't understand. How come that this great power now is on retreat, is on the run? It's just, you know, it's, it's, it looked inward and is destroying the foundation that helped to build the greatest nation on earth. Absolutely. 
Why, why didn't you, you know, you, you had political aspirations. You know, no, I don't. You did. You had. No, I never had it. No, no. In just... 08, you said you wanted to run. Look, you know, it's just running in Putin's Russia was like sending a message because you, you, I knew that I would never be on the ballot. It's just, it's again, it's, and by the way, it was in 2007, that's what I called vegetarian time in Russia. Because for protesting in the streets, you can end up in jail as myself for five or 10 days. Being beaten, abused, but today, if you show up on the street, it will be five to 10 years. So, um, look, I marched and we did it peacefully. Yeah, I can proudly say that unlike in many other countries, including this one, during our protests from 2005 to 2011, we did not have a single broken window. I'm not even talking about burned cars. The only violence on the streets of Russia was caused by Putin's riot police and, and security officers. People who marched with me, they either in exile like myself, in jail like Alexei Navalny, or killed like Boris Nemtsov. That's, that's a sad reality of Russia. And all we have there is a window. Window, you know, built by a KGB officer to sell to the Western leaders that would like to buy this, this, this fake story. Unfortunately, there are many of them. And by the way, one thing that Putin did, I have to say that it's, um, it's given credit, he proved that the West also could be corrupt. It's, it's, I never thought that you know, I would see widespread corruption in the free world the way Putin exposed it. Because he had access to more money than any other individual in the history of humanity. I think directly or indirectly, he controls something like $1 trillion, $1 trillion through Russian budget funds, oligarch fortunes, and he can move money here and there. And it's proved irresistible. And, um, and that's, a pro that's, again, that tells you that our problem is also your problem. Because it, it, it eats alive the, uh, the institutions that guaranteed uh, your freedom and your prosperity. Why, why wouldn't you have political aspirations, though? I mean, if you, if you think in, in your vocal and the way you're giving your points, truth is cutting through lies and controversy, and you're doing it in a way somebody says this makes sense, why wouldn't you use that ability to go do something good? Look, again, I, 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 I always thought and I, was, I wasn't in the field of human rights and democracy. I'm, I don't have, you know, the probably just, I'm, I'm, I'm not built just to, 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 to run the campaign. And just, it's the, I'm happy to support the right people. I'm yet, I'm, I'm I want to inspire people. I just, you know, I just. Well, the, that's a part of it. That, I mean, that's, yeah, that's but, greatly... I but I don't know. I just, you know, I never, I never thought of myself just running for an office, uh, doing it seriously because there's so many th other things I can do. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's wrong. I don't know. But, no, no, but it's. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even. In a, I, I live here on the green card, so as the, it's, uh, um, um, and um, I, I cannot run for an office here. So, the, anyway, but I'm very happy to inspire those who are willing to take their chances, and I'm, you know, I'm ready to throw my. We don't know each other. Weight. This is the first time we're meeting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I, if you don't count the Zoom, the Zoom, Zoom, yeah. Zoom that we are, but this is the first time you and I are yes. physically meeting. You know. Uh, uh, Almost everybody that eventually, like the people I'm concerned about that run are the people that from they were six years old, they wanted to be a president one day. That's the guy that wants power. I'm concerned about that. But sometimes, you know, there, there are 
eras where a person has the cap capability to go face off some of the bigger tough guys and the bullies and you don't seem to be afraid. And the way you process issues and present your message to people, it inspires others. So I don't know. I, I think you ought to consider doing something with that ability. I'm a guess would agree with that. I think it's a, I, I think the world would benefit from it if you got a little more involved. But anyways, I don't want to uh, uh, instigate. I have a tendency of doing that. I want to open it up for CEOs. I want these guys to ask some questions here. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, let's, anybody from Russia that has a question, any CEOs from Russia yeah, that I, has a question? Okay, Joanna's, Joanna's really got a question here. Let's go right here. She's from Mexico, I think, right? Where do you live right now? I live in Mexico, but Mexico. I'm originally from Romania. There so I was born and raised in communism. You're actually one of our heroes. So uh, thanks for coming. My question is about the 1997 Deep Blue. After 19 moves, you resigned. But the interesting part is you actually changed your style. It was like a wait and see approach. Why did you change your style? And do you think that affected your resignation? Uh, Look, uh, uh, thank you for bringing this very memorable moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 look, it's, I lost the game before I moved the pieces. It's just because it was a very tough match. It was, you know, even after five games. I was very close in winning in game five. And by the way, if you look at the, at the game five from today's perspectives using the chess engines, they'll tell you that all the compliments were heard in 1997. From people say, oh, Kasparov played great game, Deep Blue defended, uh-huh, laughing loud. So this, this, this machines will tell you that Deep Blue uh, uh, made mistakes, I made mistakes, and I missed the win. And I could feel it that I missed the win. And also we had a lot of arguments with IBM. So again, what under the bridge? So I already you know, made my peace with them, but I had a lot of arguments with them during the match. And I was human. Uh, one of the mistakes, actually, of many, you know, it's this, that we had the, um, the rules that we played two games, then rest day, two games, two rest days, and two games. I, need, I had to insist on one break. You know, I, I needed this, you know, after game five, I needed one day just to, 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 to get my, you know, just myself back to the, that's the, so I'm human. I, I proved that, that I was human. So, and that was a purely human disaster. So that's the, which again was another demonstration that it's, it's all about making fewer mistakes. Awesome. Right back there. Back there. Yes. Hi, Gary. Uh, actually, I followed you during the, uh, and I'm also from Romania, so I grew up in a communist country. Uh, so I think we attract a, few a lot of communists that yes, become yes. capitalists. So you know. <laughs> but my, my, question, my question I have for you. Um, I, I also play competitive chess, and I know the mental toughness of the game. My question to you is, is there something that you did the day before, the week of, to prepare you mentally, which can help us as business owners as we're going into a meeting or some kind of a challenging uh, situation that maybe you can talk about? Like, what did you do to prepare for a big event like that? You're testing, mentally. You're testing my memory. That was, <laughs> I played competitive chess a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, um, Look, um, I wish we could, I'm looking at the clock now. I wish Don't worry we, about we, it. We could have this question, you know, at the beginning of the conversation. Because it, um, um, it's actually, it's much bigger issue for me than just preparing for one game. Because there's something that I always thought was wrong is to um, ask for tips. And then let me explain why. Because we're all different. Yeah, we with different in, in, for many, many reasons. So, and, 
And the way we make decisions, our decision-making formula is as unique as our DNA or our fingerprints. So it's having one universal advice for everybody could be wrong. Because if you, God forbid, forbid get sick, so you don't have the same medicine as I do, so you need your tests. So same is here, is as you know, the, the, the beginning of the process of improving your decision-making process, of getting sort of a more acquainted with who you are, is just analyzing and recognizing that I'm more aggressive, I'm more conservative, and also recognizing that this is your nature. You know, it's, it's, it's a very unique process. And I'm, I don't know about you, I'm just, you know, I'm an extrovert, I'm just, I'm very dynamic. So I knew what worked for me might be counterproductive for you. So it's very important to know who you are and how you build your both preparation, but also the game. Because the strategy should reflect your ability to master it at every point. And what I know about chess and about probably any other walk of life is that no matter how much preparation we did before, no matter how much time we spend analyzing our performance, opponent's performance, the key is, you know, to make sure that the, at the climax, where we have little time left to make a decision, and this decision could be really, you know, faithful. So it could, it could actually, it could decide the outcome of the game. We have to be comfortable. So that's why, you know, it just, it's um, the, the way to design your preparation and the game, same goes for business or for politics, is to make sure you're comfortable, that it works for you, and it's always unique. And, um, and again, it just, it's, 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 it's also includes, you know, your knowledge of the opponents, because you want to make sure that you face the opposition on the field that, that, that benefits you. So that, that, that puts, puts emphasis on your advantages and also, um, you know, exposes opponents' weaknesses. And just, it's the, um, just let me give you this little, little, like the visual example. It's, it's, you have two armies um, uh, in the medieval battlefield. So both, you know, of equal strengths. Both, you know, um, uh, of armies um, have talented generals in charge. But one army has powerful cavalry, another has skillful archers as a key components. The outcome of the battle most likely will be decided by the terrain, landscape. In the valley, the cavalry will run them down. In the, in the hills, the, the archers will put cavalry down. So again, it's all about creating conditions where your strengths will be a key factor and opponent's strengths will be downplayed. Yeah, okay. And so how often do you see somebody who is very analytical yet charismatic and inspirational? You don't meet too many people like that, by the way, and he's a trifecta. Yes, go for it. Господин Gasparov, I'm emigrated from Russia. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, my name is Sergei Plonikov. I have uh, two questions. Uh, you have two foundations. One is promoting chess with children. And if I uh, correctly, uh, second foundation is your human rights uh, help. So if you can explain what you do in this field. And second, what is your biggest challenge right now in your life? Um, so uh, Kasparov Chess Foundation, I mentioned, I founded it here in 2002, we'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary next year. Uh, that has branches around the world, so that's the 
that's quite a big uh, uh, charitable organization that um, does two things. One is working with kids, promoting blueprint curriculum, but also working with rising stars, mostly in America, but now we ex extended our services to, to Europe and also to Russian-speaking world. Um, now, uh, uh, Human Rights Foundation, I, I'm a chairman for nearly 10 years, but I um, followed the, um, the footsteps of one of my heroes, the, um, Václav Havel, the um, former president of Czechoslovakia, the great uh, human rights activist who was the president of the country. Um, and uh, um, and I, I am, well, I'm proud to be affiliated with the organization that built the largest dissident event in the world called Oslo Freedom Forum. Uh, so, by the way, we, it's, it's called Oslo Freedom Forum, but it's, it's a global event. And one of them might, will, will take place in Miami in the beginning of October. So, um, and we have all leading dissidents, and it's all about stories. It's not about numbers, data, it's, it's about real stories. So, for instance, uh, uh, on, on this event in, 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 in Miami, uh, four weeks from now, one of the speeches you know, will be delivered by Alexei Navalny's daughter that was messaged from from wow. jail. So that's the, we have Leopoldo Lopez from, from Venezuela, so one of these opposition leaders there. So, and many people you know, just ranging from North Korea to, to, uh, to Cuba. Um, so now about greatest challenges, some people say staying alive. We do one more. Who really, really, really has a good question? Really? Is it positive? This is Tamara's arm. She's from Azerbaijan. I don't know what she's going to ask. Okay. What's, okay, tell me what your question is about. Just give me the topic. One word. His brain. Brain. What's yours about tomorrow? Give me one word. Okay. No, you can't. I'm not, I'm, that's not selling me. What, what's your question? Yes. Intuition. How about yourself? Passion, somebody. Ooh, wow. Wow. Okay. All right, let's go to tomorrow. Tomorrow, tell us what your question is. No, because this one could get interesting. Here we go. Hi. Um, <clears throat> first of all, please don't hate me too much for asking another question. Um, when, I when something matters to me, I go all in, and I will never apologize for that. So, a couple of, I think it was yesterday or the day before that, Patrick asked us, what is your future truth? My page was blank. Because my future truth is dangerous. My future truth has consequences. And my future truth is not just getting canceled on social media, it's getting in actual trouble and having my family getting in trouble. But, Hearing you speak now, I want to say <clears throat> my future truth is that I will end communism in the former USSR countries and I will start with Russia. I'll be honored if you support me in my future political campaigns. Uh, it's a very ambitious goal, so I... Uh... <laughs> it's... Look... Um, um, being, being an optimist, I also, you know, have to, to inject a dose of realism, and I, 
And I understand that you know, fighting Putin's dictatorship uh, may not bring benefits tomorrow, maybe not even the day after tomorrow. I, I live outside of Russia for eight years. I don't expect to come back tomorrow. Um, so a lot of people ask me, so can I go back to Russia? I say, yes, it will be a one-way ticket. I always buy a round trip. <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, I, um, I think that is just, you know, ending. It's not even a communism, so in Russia. This is, it's, it's a new form of dictatorship, which is even much worse and more dangerous. Because communism was an ideology, and you could see the shortcomings of, this, of, of the ideology. People in the West, they could say, yeah, it's propaganda, it's this, it's the, it's, the, um, it's uh, you know, it's, um, it has, you know, its own domestic difficulties, and it couldn't compete. Putin actually came up with something far more sophisticated because the way they distort the picture, the way they distort the truth, is basically saying truth cannot be known. Yeah, we're bad, everybody's bad. We're corrupt, everybody's corrupt. Well, Big the good deal. thing, I work in tech and I'm very data-driven. When it comes to that, truth does exist. Truth, yeah, we know that truth does exist, but there's only one way to tell the truth. And there are millions of ways, thanks to social media, to, to lie. Truth wow. is lonely. And, uh, and we just, you know, we have to find ways to defend it. And they actually recognize that it's, it's, they don't have to sell an ideology. Yeah, I always call Putin merchant of doubt. Yeah, it's easy, you know, it's easy to spread doubts, especially with the money that he has. And with so many willing souls in the free world to buy it. So um, that's why this is not a Russian problem. This is not a problem of former Soviet republics. In the former Soviet Union, this is everybody's problem because it's a globalized world. And I, again, I hope that we can fight together because this fight, you know, does not have borders, does not have limitations. This is a fight for our future, for future of our kids. And uh, I know, I know it from the bottom of my heart. I know from my experience, there is no compromise. You, we cannot, we cannot end the war that was declared on us. And this is, we are in the midst of this war. You can pretend that, oh, we just, you know, we ended the war in Afghanistan. No, we have not ended the war. We run. And there's a big difference. Because those who won there, they are still at war with us. So this is, we, we should look at this world, you know, with open eyes and be optimistic, but also recognizing the danger. Because the moment we look the other side, it hits us, as it happened 20 years ago in this country. The sad celebration, okay, celebration, wrong word, uh, anniversary that we would, we would uh, uh, remember a week from now. So I, uh, um, I, um, I'm happy to, 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 to end this conversation on such a high note because this is for me, it's, um, yeah, it's, if it happens, it will bring me a chance to go back to, to my country and just to, to visit my mother's grave, which unfortunately is many thousand miles away, and I couldn't stand there. Give it up, Gary Kasparov. Thank you. Gary, I have a gift for you if you can hang tight. Thank you very much. Hang on, hang on one second. Thank you, thank, so, you. thank you very much, thank you. Oh, we spoke to what? your assistant. She said you're a fan of Plato. 
we got a nice little gift here for you because I know you follow philosophy and hopefully you enjoy it. But, we, you know, there's many different gifts we could have gotten you. I hope you enjoyed this gift. And I'm looking forward to you getting a little bit more involved in politics. Again, make some noise. Thank you. Gary Kasparov. <laughs>